0: Well, hey, thanks for coming out this morning. If you're joining us online, we welcome you here today also. Uh, My name is Doug Freeman. I'm the administrative pastor here at Verde Valley Christian Church, and it's my uh, really privilege to be able to share with you guys this morning part three of a four-part series that we've called Our Covenant God. Um, Jim Jim began this series a couple weeks ago uh, about Our Covenant God, talking about relationships, and... and, uh, really speaking to God's solution for the brokenness of mankind through these covenants. Week two, last week, uh, the title was, let's see, Our Covenant God is All About Grace and Responsibility. And there we talked about that God's covenants, all of them, all of the covenants that God has ever made with mankind, are all covenants of grace, and they all have human responsibility. And today our focus will be Our Covenant God is All About the new covenant. I'm gonna make a little bit of a shift here in what I plan to tell you this. If I did nothing other than today, then said, re-watch that video of the 16-year-old girl. That's what God's new covenant is all about. It's a covenant of reaching down to hurting people. And transforming their lives. That's what God's new covenant is all about. Here's some of my words trying to describe the new covenant. The new covenant is God's revelation of who he is and his perfect and complete plan to restore all who would enter into covenant with him to their created purpose of intimacy, of relationship with him, and with one another. It's very important to always remember that God's greatest desire, the reason that we were created, was to have a relationship with him. We were created in his image, a relational being formed by him to have a relationship with him and with one another, relationships that would bring him honor and bring him glory. And then we have the fall, Adam and Eve choosing to elevate their own will above the will of God. And that's a polite definition of sin, elevating our will above the will of God. And when Adam and Eve did that, um, all of mankind since, all of us have been born in sin, separated from God, separated from our, our created purpose of relationship with him because of this sin. But God had a plan, and it was not plan B. It was not God wringing his hand saying, oh my goodness, I didn't realize that Adam and Eve would make this stupid mistake. So I need to come up with another plan. The plan in his new covenant was created before the foundations of the world. God knew that mankind would fail. And so through a series of covenants, God would come up with this plan. Not that he would come up with a plan. He had the plan in place. But through the covenants and being finalized and culminating in the new covenant, we would see Christ and him crucified, making the way for all who would enter into a covenant by faith to be restored to the created purpose. The new covenant is the final and complete covenant that God has made with mankind. And why is it important to understand the new covenant? Well, again, it's, it's because it's God revealing himself to us. That's what it's all about. He's showing us who he is and what his desires are for us. We talked last week about some misunderstandings. If we misunderstand what the new covenant's all about or if we misunderstand uh, who God is, and and Jim used a couple examples of things like, uh, God saved me, so now the rest is up to me. That's wrong, that's wrong thinking. Or God saved me, I can just let go and let God. That's equally as wrong as the other way. Uh, Any misunderstanding of who God is and what our responsibility is uh, is, is, can cause troubles. It can cause us to, to get away from who God is and the path that he has for us. A quote from Charles Spurgeon says this, the cardinal error against which the gospel of Christ has to contend is the effect of the tendency of the human heart to rely on salvation by works. And you can actually substitute the new covenant there. It could also read the cardinal arrogance which the new covenant of Christ has to contend is the effect of the tendency of the human heart to rely on salvation by works. Wrong thinking, it's not by our works. It's not all about letting go and letting God. I wanna give you a little snapshot of, of my wrong thinking for, a, for too many years, I'll say, in my life. On February 5th, 1983, in Denver, I heard the gospel message for the first time. I was 29 years old. Um, and that was Friday. On Saturday, I pulled my truck over the side of the road on Cornville Road. I didn't know anything about anything other than this gospel message that I heard on Friday from a friend of mine. And I prayed a prayer to say, Lord, if, if, if that's your deal, it's too good to pass up. I want in. I'm, I'm in. And... Uh, Went to church the next morning, had some men pray for me. That night, went to small group. Advertisement for small group, great thing to do. Went to small group and, and started my walk with the Lord. However, even though I was receiving, I was receiving counseling and I was receiving uh, mentorship from a, from a pastor, I went nine or 10 years in a performance-based thought process. Not only performance-based, but I also thought that I had a lot to offer that I brought a lot to the table. I brought a lot to this agreement because I had a lot of skill sets and I had a lot of things that I knew was the reason that God saved me because after all, Doug, look at what a catch you are. You know? <laughs> and I was performing, I was, perform, I was doing things thinking I was improving my position before the Lord. Okay? And that's wrong, that's not, what it, that's not what it's about at all. And finally, the point came for me, I went away for a weekend in I was in Bible I was in Bible college I went I'd taken classes locally in, in Bible school, and I had to write a paper on the Book of Romans, a 30-page paper on the Book of Romans, and I spent the weekend doing that, and through that, God broke my heart about Doug. This is who I am. This is who I am, and by the way, Doug, this is who you are. You have no merit. You brought nothing to the table. It's all about me, and it's all about what I'm gonna equip you to do for me. It's not about your performance. It's not about even keeping the rules. It's about trusting and believing that I could do this. So I, I, I'm still not there. I still haven't got this thing down perfectly, so don't think that I do in any ways. So just ask my wife, she'll tell you, I'm still, I'm still working on this, and as Paul says, but I'm forgetting those things that lie behind. I'm pressing forward. I'm moving forward to increase and expand my understanding of who God is and what his desires are for me. So let's start by just laying some groundwork so that we can have a little bit better understanding about this new covenant. And I'm going to be rapid firing a bunch of scripture to you today because it can say it a lot better than I can. So if you're a note taker, write these things down. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them. I'm just trying to lay some framework for you and then we'll wrap up with what really has the meaning. So uh, we're going to start with Hebrews 1. Uh, That says, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus... And if you do not have this correct in your thinking or your theology, you're going to be off base. Jesus is the complete and perfect revelation of who God is. He is God, and he's the perfect representation of every attribute of God. Jesus represents that. And so we see God planning before the foundation of the world. He called it a mystery. It's called a mystery in the New Testament. And this mystery was revealed through Christ Jesus, who is the new covenant. His life, his death, his resurrection describes the new covenant, what he's done for us. I have a picture uh, up in my office. And uh, is that up on the screen now? That picture, you're, you're not gonna be able to, you're not gonna be able to read any of that stuff on the picture, but it's, it's, a, it's a cool picture of, of a chart of, of the course of time from eternity to eternity, which, think about, that's impossible. But anyway, that's what the picture represents. And, and, um, in, in that picture, you can see that kind of those those bright rays coming down kind of toward a little bit to the right of the center there. That's, the, that's where we're at right now. We're in the last day, what's called the last days. And and it's also, according to this picture, uh, that's the fourth dispensation. And it's called the dispensation of grace. God giving us his grace. We're in that period of of grace. And regardless of what you're thinking is, even like on this, this time frame that you can't read, uh, what you're thinking is of when things are going to happen and in times, nobody can argue with this. We're one day closer to our final days than we were yesterday. That's a hard fact. You're one day closer. I'm one day closer to the day that I'll step out of this world than I was yesterday. Okay, so if we all agree with that, and if we all agree with that, then we'll also understand that this new covenant stuff—who God is, who Jesus is—is is very, very, very important stuff. In fact, that your thinking on that will determine your eternal destiny. That's the only reason I show this picture—not to, not to say when things are going to happen in, in, the, in God's time frame—but but we're in those last days. It could happen tomorrow. Okay, Christ could return for his church tomorrow. So we need to have correct understanding of what this is all about. So previously in this study we've looked at we've looked at some Old Testament prophecy on the new on the new covenant and and we read Jeremiah 31. I'm going to read that to you again just to kind of set the stage. Uh, This is Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and will remember their sin no more. This prophecy was written some 2,600 years ago and was fulfilled... This prophecy was fulfilled in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Again, God's complete revelation of himself to us. Paul, in the book of Ephesians, says this. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. This is, I think, one of the best scriptures to describe the new covenant and how it works. Uh, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom. And understanding. And this last phrase we need to really understand God has now revealed to us His mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill His own good plan. The mysterious will was the new covenant that would be brought forth in Christ Jesus. Again, God expressing His very heart to us, His very desires for us, to be in relationship with us, to make the way so that we could be restored in right relationship with him. So the, the, the mystery has been revealed to us. So let's look at the, uh, the we think of a covenant, we think of, of legal things. And, and the thing that's important to remember is the, the new covenant, even though there's some legal terms, the word covenant is kind of a legal term. It's not a legal transaction. It's a relational transaction. And so we see the parties, There's only two parties in this, God and us, okay? Let's talk about God first. He's the testator of the new covenant. And that testator, I always thought was just a... a, a a legal phrase that, that lawyers use when they're talking about covenants and contracts and stuff, but it's really we see that language in the King James version in, in Hebrews chapter nine, where it talks about God being the, the testator Jesus being the testator of the covenant. So he is the covenant maker. God is the one that made the covenant, and the covenant was ratified on the cry, on the cross. When Christ died, the covenant was ratified. Again, it sounds like a bunch of legal terms, and so uh, I have a quick joke for you. I usually always tell jokes and, and I. I changed this joke because the first joke I had, I thought, well, maybe that's offensive. And then I thought, well, everything I say is going of be offensive, can, could be, could be took as offense. So, so I, I softened this up. I didn't tell the one, I'm not gonna tell the one that's really funny, I'm gonna tell the other one, okay? What's the difference between a good lawyer and a bad lawyer? A bad lawyer can let a case drag out for several years. A good lawyer can make it last even longer. <laughs> so those are my lawyers. Maybe I'll tell the, sec- the, second, or the, the other joke at Second Service because it's not recorded and online, so there will be no paper trail on that. So um, so let's talk a little bit about God, who is the testator of the new covenant. It tells us in Deuteronomy 9, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And then in Isaiah 54:10 for the mountains may depart and the hills be removed but my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed says the Lord who has compassion on you. And then we jump over to the New Testament, the most famous scripture that is always recited which illustrates well the new covenant, John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So, God, the testator of the new covenant, is faithful. He's good. He's loving. He's covenant keeping. He's promise keeping. He's a God that never changes. He pursues us in relationship. And as that Ephesian passage is uh, stated, um, it's what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. It's what he wanted to do. This sovereign God who created everything, who holds everything in the power of his hand, was pleased. To make a covenant so that we, all of us, could have a relationship with Him. So, again, um, that's God. And then in Christ is the second part of your outline, uh, on point one on your outline in Christ. We are the beneficiaries of the new covenant. All who would accept God's plan by faith are invited. All are invited. There are no prerequisites for entry into the new covenant because we don't bring anything to the table anyway. So no one is excluded from that, okay? All are accepted. Murderers, liars, thieves, adulterers, addicts, rich, poor, successful, unsuccessful. And yes, even blank, you fill it in with the one that you struggle with that God could accept. We've all got a different one in there. Uh, depending on the things, some of the things that might have happened in your life, we all have that. That it's like, oh no! I mean, was, was it? Was there was a there was a uh, a, a murderer? Uh, uh, what do they call it? the guys that murder a whole bunch of people? Anyway, there was a, a, a murderer that supposedly on death row accepted Christ. It's like, what? How could that be? You know? And I don't know what it is for you. We all have to things. It might be for you. It might be a, a real estate agent for you. I I don't know what it is. You know, you pick, might be a used car sales, who knows whatever you put on the list, but you need to understand that no one is excluded. We don't bring anything to the table, so we don't have to do anything ahead of time to step into that new covenant. And so h- how do we enter into that covenant? What does it take to get into the new covenant? It tells us, Paul tells us in Ephesians 2.8, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Okay. by grace you have been saved through faith by God's amazing grace and through the gift of faith that he has given us we can step into this covenant relationship we are in Christ when we do that Jesus says this about the new covenant it's 100% for you and it's 100% on me again we bring nothing to it it's 100% on Jesus and it's 100% for us You know what, if you're here this morning, we'll talk about a little more of this later, but if you're here this morning, you've never made that decision, Uh, there's some notes on the back of your outline today that that show some faith steps and the scriptures that go along with those faith steps uh, of what it takes, the things that are are important in those faith steps to step into that new covenant. So we are in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We are in Christ. The new has come. God has placed his spirit in us. When we make that faith decision, we receive a new nature. Those things make it possible for us to have a relationship with him. It tells us in scripture that, that, that we have the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. So when God sees us, he no longer sees a sinner, but he sees the righteousness of Christ in us. Okay, that's what he's done for us. For us, so we are in Christ. The old has passed away. So those are the those are the, the parties of this covenant, the holy, loving God who made this covenant and us. Uh, kind of a big gap between those two unworthy sinners only saved by grace. So let's look at the promises, the promises that we have. Some of the promises, it would take us weeks to talk about all the promises that we have in the new covenant. But, and Peter tells us that this covenant comes with his precious and very great promises. Uh, someone once counted, I didn't, but someone once counted and came up with 7,487 promises um, in scripture. It would take us till next Sunday to talk about all of those. But uh, here's one thing that I will tell you that's very important about God's promises. Spend some time with him in his word getting to know him and his promises for us. And then depend and lean on those promises for everything because he's he's promised to keep those things that he's told us in his word. And when we do that, that's how we grow into spiritual maturity. That's how we grow in our understanding of who God is by spending time with him in our words. It also makes us more effective for his kingdom purposes. So, promises. Romans 5.1 says, so now, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith in his promises, we can have real peace with him because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. That's the only real peace that you can ever have. Peace is, I believe, peace is impossible to have for the human race, period, if we're living in a state of being separated from our created purpose. We were created for God for relationship and when we're separated from that, we we are at enmity with God, we're God's enemy. And not someone that I wanna be an enemy. With, okay. And peace is impossible with that. So it's only through being in right relationship with our creator, having our sins forgiven, being delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, possessing that eternal life and enjoying that ongoing relationship with Christ. Again, we're no longer in enmity with God, but now we are his sons and his daughters. We are children of the King and peace comes with that. And with these promises, we are now with Christ. Scripture tells us that we're co-heirs with Christ of a heavenly inheritance. It tells us that in Romans chapter eight. Ezekiel chapter 11 tells us that we have a new spirit within us, okay? We've been made new. Our heart of stone has been replaced with a heart of flesh, and we are with Christ now in this new covenant. And we have all the promises and all the privileges of a child of the king. Romans, again, eight, says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He will graciously give us all things all things. In the handout a couple weeks ago, and I think there's still some in the back if you'd never received it, we have a, uh, we gave a handout that was all about relationships. And in this handout, um, there's a long list of God's promises. And I would encourage you to look at those promises and, and, you know, uh, those promises, I'll just read a few of them. We have the promise of forgiveness, of eternal life, of adoption, of God's presence, of God's daily help, uh, of God's spirit in us, of the security that we have being his child. Um, the hope that we have, the inheritance that we have. There's another one on the list I don't usually claim, and it says we have a promise of persecution. I don't, that's, that's not when I get up every morning and pray, Lord, bring that, that persecution today. Bring those difficulties today. You know, you promised them to me, so I'm not gonna get by this day without having one, which I usually don't get by a day without having some sort of struggle. But uh, those are all promises of God. And in the struggles, he's promised to be with us and not forsake us and to give us the strength that we need to overcome those things. So those are some of the promises that we see in the covenant. The point three in your outline, if you're keeping track of your outline, which I haven't obviously very well today, it talks about the terms, the terms of What's, what's expected of us in this new covenant relationship? What is our responsibility? And so, uh, again, before we, before we look at that, I want you to consider this. Again, this statement the new covenant is 100% for us and 100% on Jesus. And if you're going to write anything down today, write this down. This is important. God provides everything for us that we need to accomplish everything that he asks of us in this relationship. Anything that he asks of us, he provides for us. It's not about our strength. It's not about our abilities. It's not about our skill set. He provides everything that we need to to, uh, do everything that he asks of us in this relationship, if I don't know if any of you have watched the series Chosen, it's a great series to watch. And, and uh, the the guy that the, the character that they have portrayed Peter is exactly what I always pictured Peter being like: uh, hard charging, you know, performance minded, uh, self dependent. You know that was that was this guy, and that's what I always pictured Peter being. And and Peter he learned some lessons in his life, and he penned these words late in his life about that, okay? In Second Peter, he says, His divine power, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. Now, I don't know what Bible translation you read But I'm pretty sure that all things translates all things in every different translation. So he's given us all things. That means he's fully equipped us. He's given us everything that we need to accomplish everything that he asks of us in this relationship. Fully equipped to fulfill our responsibilities in the new covenant. Romans 8:29 says this for this whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. In this new covenant we are called to be like Christ. We are called to be like Christ, okay? To be he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. I believe that the pursuit of Christ likeness is the highest responsibility that we have in our covenant relationship with Christ, the single highest responsibility that we have. Everything that we do in word, in attitude or action that holds any eternal value springs forth from this pursuit, the pursuit of Christ-likeness. We have his spirit in us. It tells us in scripture we have the mind of Christ. It tells us that we, again, that he's provided all things that pertain to life and godliness. So that is the highest calling that we have is to pursue him. Some Bible scholars call it pursuing holiness. But it's the desire to be like Christ, to act like he acts, to see people like he sees people, to treat people like he treats people, to treat people like he treated me and you. Okay? That's the highest call that we have. On that night in the upper room there, uh, when Christ met with his disciples, and on that night that he would change the Passover meal uh, to the new covenant ceremony, which we celebrate, we celebrated this morning in communion, he also at that time issued a new commandment. And it tells us in John 13, the new commandment. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus calling his disciples, Jesus calling us to a higher standard of love, taking the two commandments of loving God and loving your neighbor and elevating it even higher to loving like he loves, laying down his life for others. And that's only possible, that love is only possible when we are in Christ when we are with Christ and we are like Christ it's the only way that that love is possible and it's only possible through his resurrection power working in and through us and then the, the next step is and because we are like Christ and because he has fully equipped us we are compelled by the love of Christ to fulfill the great commission this is another this is another term that we're called to in 2 Corinthians He has entrusted, it tells us in that scripture, he has entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. God, in his sovereign plan, which this is way over my understanding of how he would, at least for me, how he would trust me with this message of reconciliation, but in his plan, he, is, he uses his people to carry his message of hope and of reconciliation to a lost and hurting world, sharing his story through our story to bring others to the kingdom. So we see our responsibilities. The terms for us in this new covenant are pursuing Christ's likeness. And from that pursuit, we've been enabled to love as Christ loves, to see others, again, through his eyes, to have the mind of Christ, and to see lost, hurting people who need to be in relationship with Christ. They need to have those promises that only he can provide through the new covenant. Again, it's important to remember that we bring nothing to the table. It's 100% on Christ and it's 100% for us. When we do pursue Christ-likeness and when we do love like Christ loves and when we do carry forth a ministry of reconciliation to a lost and hurting world, we're not when doing those things, we're not improving our position before him. Okay? Don't misunderstand that. This isn't performance-based. Okay? Yes, we're pleasing him. Yes, we're paying a debt of love towards him, but we're not gaining favor, okay? That's not what this is about. It's about wanting to please him and wanting to love him and demonstrating those things by doing that. So what those things are, when we fulfill those terms of pursuing Christ-likeness, when we take his message of reconciliation to the world, again, we're not, we're not gaining merit before him, but what those things do, Those things validate that you're in the new covenant relationship. That's the validation. That's the, not that he does this, that's the, yep, check mark, Doug's doing those things. It's pleasing him. That's what those things are all about. So again, we do those things from a debt of love. So to review the parties in this covenant, First, we have the sovereign, almighty God who's holy and faithful, and he's unchanging. And then we have us, unworthy sinners, saved by his amazing grace. The promises again. We have the promise of eternal life. We have the promise of his his presence. He'll never leave us or forsake us. He's put his spirit in us. We have his peace that only comes from being in right relationship with him. We have a heavenly inheritance we have abundant life in this world. Abundant life is not just for the next world, it's for this world. It's for today. He wants you to have abundant life today. That doesn't mean that he's gonna give you a brand new pickup truck and a, and, a, and a shiny new house. That's not what it means. But he wants you to have the abundant life today, okay? And so, and on and on and on and on those promises go. It's quite an amazing deal. It takes me way back to February 5th, 1983, when I heard that gospel message, I mean, I was just overwhelmed with, what a deal that would be. What a great deal. You know, how can, I, how can I refuse that great deal? And it is an amazing deal. And the terms, again, love like Christ loves. If I had to rank them in order, this is what I would say. First, love like Christ loves. Pursue Christlikeness. Be diligent in the pursuit of learning who he is and having his mind. And I I pray, and this isn't anything on you guys, I pray every day, Lord let me see people like you see people. Because Doug doesn't see people right sometimes. Let me be honest, Doug doesn't see people right most times. Okay, I, I wanna see people like you see people. I wanna have your heart and your compassion towards people. And then lastly, uh, sharing his amazing message, sharing that good deal with the world. That's what he's called us to. Charles Spurgeon says this, there, and, and I like to quote dead guys because they can't screw up anymore. The guys that are still alive, if, if, if something goes wrong in their life, they say, oh, that guy, you know. So I like to quote dead guys. Um, there is no more blessed way of living than the life of faith based upon a covenant-keeping God To know that we have no care for he cares for us. That we need have no fear except to fear him. That we need have no troubles because we've cast our burdens upon the Lord and are conscious that he will sustain us. What a great place to live in. What a great, what a great... Uh, mindset to have. And so if, if you're here today and, and you are in relationship with Christ Jesus, if you have by faith entered into that new covenant, you need to remember this that, that we need to have a moment by moment. Um, awareness. We need to be conscious that that God holds us, that he's the faithful, loving God, that by his sovereign hand he holds us and he keeps us in this relationship. And his desire is to have that intimacy of relationship with him, that we would have a, a vital and life-sustaining relationship with him, and that we would be pursuing Christ-likeness. And it takes diligence on our part to do that daily. And then again, from those things would spring forth a desire in us to want to share our story of how God has transformed our life to others, okay? I'm going to read this to you as an admonition, okay? I want you to be encouraged by this, but also if it convicts you, it's God's word, okay? And it convicted me. Romans 13, and this is not in your notes or on the screen. And do this, Understanding, and this is written to believers, and do this understanding the present time. Remember that picture? Understanding the present time. Understanding the days that we live in. Understanding our culture. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the flesh. We are in the last days. We are in serious times. It's a great deal. The new covenant is too good to pass up. Um, and if, if you're here today and you've never made that decision, again, uh, I'd really like to talk to you after the service. We'll have a prayer team over to my right, your left. Uh, talk with somebody and, and, and talk to them and ask questions about what that, uh, that new covenant is all about. And one more time, just to wrap up, let me end with this. The holy almighty God created you to have a relationship with him. Our choice to sin separates us from him. And it's only by Christ taking away our sin, taking away my sin. He took it on himself on the cross. It's only through that that makes a way for us to be reconciled to him uh, in right relationship. So we need to confess that sin daily. We need to confess those things that prevent us from walking with him in a way that would be pleasing to him. We need to accept his forgiveness forgetting those things that lie behind and pressing forward to what he has for us uh, today and tomorrow. So again, his desire is that you enter into this new covenant. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful that you love us. Father, we're thankful for uh, your sovereign plan of redemption for us. That, Father, you loved us enough to send your Son um, to take our sins, my sins, upon himself on the cross. Father, to pay the price that uh, I couldn't pay so that I could be in my uh, created purpose of relationship with you. Father, that's an amazing deal. Help us to live lives that would validate our relationship with you. Help us to live lives that would allow others to see that we're different, that you have transformed our lives. And Father, help that message reach many who uh, don't have the hope that we have. So again, Lord, we uh, are thankful. We're grateful. Help us to uh, exercise that debt of love in a way that would bring you glory. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name.